Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Uh, welcome back to Heard Tell. The last time we talked to our buddy Ben over in the UK was the 4th of July. It's become a bit of a tradition here. We have our friend from the UK on for the 4th of July over here, or as they called over there, over for two-day. And believe it or not, we had a little chat about the Queen and generational change and how the Queen was going to uh, represent that. Lo and behold, as we sit and record this, my friend, uh, the Queen has passed away. We just heard the speech of King Charles III. He's now styled his first address to the nation. Welcome back. Some big doings over there, my friend. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it was sort of something we expected at some point, but I think people were surprised by how fast it came along. Certainly, I think what surprised me was that she, there was a picture taken of her and Liz Truss where she looked, you know, obviously old and frail, but she looked in good, decent health. And I, before, I remember before that, I sent people at work, oh, well, I wonder if there'll be a picture or, or video. And obviously there was a picture. And I thought if there wasn't a picture, then that would be very, very bad. But the fact that there was a picture, I was thinking, oh, she's okay. She's got maybe a few weeks left in there at least. Uh, and then to pass away literally probably 48 hours after that picture was taken. It was, it was very, very fast. Yeah, and it was an unstaged photo. They had the photographer on TV today talking to her about it, that it was an unstaged photo. The, they approved it to be released, obviously, but it wasn't like a staged photo. It was just her standing in front of the fireplace like she's probably done a million times over the last yeah. 70 years she's been going to Balmoral. She looked like the queen. And yeah. then this happened. Um, I've got to imagine, because it hit, look, I'm no monarchist by a stretch. I'm an American, but it hit me when Liz Truss came out and she gave her speech in front of number 10, which is her job, you know, talk about your rough, your second day in office, full day in office yeah. and the queen does talk about learn on the job. When she ended that speech with God save the king, man, that just hit weird. I got to imagine for the nation listening, that's probably the first time they heard it in an official capacity. And there's very few people that have heard that in living memory. That was that one of those moments where it just gets real all of a sudden. Yeah. God save the, uh, God save the king. Sorry. It's a very odd phrase that it just feels very weird hearing. Cause if you go back, even 50 years ago, I mean, people were still saying God save the Queen because the Queen was around then. So, um, yeah, it's, as you said, no, no one really in almost in living memory remembers when there was a King on the throne. Um, and it's, but I imagine when, when the Queen came to power as well, it, it was weird for them to say God save the Queen because they were so used to saying God save the King because back then, hardly able to remember Victoria. So, yeah, I, <laughs> Is that the comp? I, kn I know we're doing revisionist history right off the bat, but it's such a long reign. It's such a historic reign. Longest reigning monarch in the UK. One of the oldest in all of recorded human history. How do you comp her? Do you go back to Victoria? You know, what, what is the who do the English compare her to? Or is she just paramount above all else now, do you think? 
I think a few years ago it would have been Victoria and Elizabeth I, who were sort of regarded as you know two of the best monarchs. But I think now I think she will probably take precedent as you know she'll probably be like our George Washington, and you know you can't really be surpassed um, for different reasons. Obviously, George Washington's case was because he fought the Revolutionary War and he was the first president, so you can't really beat him in that respect. Uh, and obviously, the Queen wasn't anywhere near the first Queen, but um, I think because she because she was served for so long. I mean, I think it was about five years longer than Victoria, who was known herself for serving for a very long time. Uh, because of the change that took place under her leadership, I think it's, yeah, it, she, she is about compare. And um, it'll be, I think it'll just be one of those things. It'd be like Alex Ferguson at May United. It's one of those things you just can't really compare to anybody. Yeah, and the other thing about it is they were talking about the line of royal secession, how it lines up now. Charles on the throne, of course, William waiting in the wings. When you look at the line of secession, we're talking about living history, you know, unless you're in your late 70s, early 80s, you don't remember England having a king. We're probably not going to see another reigning queen in our lifetime. When you look at the line of secession, you know, you go to William, who's in his, you know, early 40s. George is after him. It's going to be a while before we see a reigning queen on the level of Elizabeth again, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I remember someone on Twitter, someone on Twitter, I think they gamed it out based on how long the Queen lived and how long uh, Queen Mother lived. And they, they, they sort of said, oh, well, if, if we assume that if we assume that William dies when he's 90 or whatever, this will be, and we, if we assume that George then dies when he's 90, this, this will be, if he has a daughter, this will be when she takes over. And basically, I think it's like 2000, it's definitely over 2100. 2100 at least will be the, probably the earliest likely time. And that's, that's if George has a daughter first. If he doesn't, if he has a son first, that'll be the uh, person who'll take over. So it's, it's I think, based, put it this way, person there's a very real possibility that the um the next person who will be alive for you know when or the first person who will be alive for when there's a queen on the throne next uh isn't even hasn't even been born yet possibly and that's amazing because you know the stats and the numbers are mind-boggling because you're talking she saw through 30 percent of all of american history Mm -hmm. i saw that stat She's seen through 15 prime ministers. Boris Johnson was joking about that. And he kind of ruefully said, you know, she still serves. She just saw off her 14th prime minister, which was him. So everybody got a good laugh out of that. Um, Her last official function was Liz Truss. um, You know, the the ceremonial, you know, go go form me a government, that sort of thing. Mm. There's so much history that she covered from the 50s when she went on the throne until today. I don't, you know, and I'm a history guy. I don't know how you start to quantify something. You know, we talk about, you know, centuries and decades, 70 years of a reign. I, we may just have to come up with a term for that, especially when you consider the difference between, you know, the early fifties and now into the early 2020s. That's pretty unprecedented amount of change. I mean, you're talking pre-space age to the internet age. That's an amazing especially, chunk of history. Especially as well, don't forget, I, I've, I was thinking this the other day, actually, on a totally unrelated subject, I'm, I'm reading a book on Prussia right now, you know, from 1600s to 1945 or whatever. And you're struck by how in, in sort of the 1600s, history moved a lot slower. 70, 70 years, a few hundred years ago, a lot less happened than happened now, obviously, because of, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't cars and things that could get you around, get, get you around as quick. Um, so it's, it's, it's an unprecedented long stretch of time. And someone, I mean, someone on Twitter said something like to Americans, a hundred miles or to Brits, a hundred miles is a long, a long, uh, you know, a long distance whereas to Americans, it's nothing. Well, to Americans, you know, a hundred years or 70 years is, is a very long time. Whereas to Brits, it isn't such, but even, even to us, I think so the 70 odd years she's been on the throne is, is ridiculously long and the, the amount of change that's taken place then 
is ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I think when she took the throne, homosexuality was still illegal then, for example, and that was under her as you know as queen. Yeah, and um, the other thing about it is let's let's just compare it to Victoria because time wise, that's probably the closest one. The technology changed during the Victorian era, not a whole lot from start mm. to finish. The technology change from the 50s till now is almost incalculable. And to reign over that and the way she had that, I don't know. I mean, we bash the royal family. They've had bad media moments, you know, the Diana stuff, um, mm. things like this. They really have adapted to the modern media. They finally figured it out in the last two decades or so. And part of that was because the queen was so consistent and so steady and so dignified. It kind of made it easy. You just put the focus on her and it kind of fixes everything else. But they do seem to have adapted to the modern world where, you know, every single thing, the tabloids of the 80s and 90s that were so bad, even though there's more technology now, they've at least learned how to adapt and deal with it a little bit better. Should we give them a little bit of credit for that? Because it, it can't be easy. I know it's easier to just bash them for it, but they do. They, I'm old enough to remember, you know, the Diana stuff. This is light years from where we were then. Yeah, no, I, I would I would give them a lot of credit. And actually, if, you've, if anyone who's seen The Crown would know, um, but actually, they've been uh, adapting to change in circumstances ever since the very beginning. Uh, I think her coronation was televised. I think it might have been Philip who pushed for it. Um, and back then, televising the coronation was seen as a very big deal. And I think the actual te- the the, uh, the coronation as a, as a television event was actually one of the first television events in the UK we ever had. And that was it was known for that. People, you know, everyone everyone gathered around television sets because we haven't had them back in those days. Um, so even then, they were breaking boundaries. And I think there was a documentary filmed about them in the 60s and 70s. I think, again, this is I'm getting this from The Crown. There was a documentary that they let people into their, their private lives. And they've, yeah, they've, they've definitely been at the forefront of, I mean, obviously now we're in the age of Twitter and social media and Instagram, and they're on that too. And obviously they've got staff managing it, but they've still embraced it as well. And I think they passed that on to Charles and William, who are, who are doing even more. Yeah, and who grew up in this era. So it's, you know, William and Henry, of course, they've had their stumbles, but this is their natural environment. They didn't have to adapt to it. They grew up in it uh, the hard way, frankly, to their credit. Uh, Ben Harris, our friend over in the UK, we're going to take a quick break. Talking about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, the UK perspective, the American perspective. Uh, Always great catching up with our friend. We'll continue with him on Hertel right after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Uh, welcome back. Our friend Ben Harris from over in the UK. Always great to talk to him. Uh, here's the thing with your day job, because you work in the halls of power around Parliament. Part of this, it isn't getting covered right now because we're going to have this mourning period. Of course, the nation, they've already announced it'll be the funeral plus seven days, national days of mourning. Uh, the ten, king has already no, 12, spoken. 12 days of mourning, I think. No, 10 days of mourning, I think. 10 days of mourning. 
Yeah. So they're going to do these days of mourning. There's all the outpouring. There's all the retrospectives. You're around Parliament, though. Take us beyond the headlines and the glamour stuff. There's a whole lot of nuts and bolts parts of government that's really got to change rapidly here. We've already seen some of it with the king, you know, changing the styles of the Prince of Wales and things like that. But on Parliament's level, there's a lot of stuff that's got to change just functional about the government now with the Queen gone that hasn't been done in 70 years. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's the reason why. So I think my understanding is, is that there's going to be three days or two days now. We've just had one of them of uh, tributes to the Queen. So that will be, um, you know, today, tomorrow, Saturday. Bear in mind, Parliament almost never sits on Saturday. And I think Monday will be the last the last sitting day uh, for tributes to the Queen. And then I think after that, Parliament will be prorogued. Um, prorogation, of course, is, is when its Parliament's essentially dissolved. And I think it's a new Parliament then formed. Um I told my mum actually. I said about. I said, oh, well, after next, well, after Monday next week, I won't be in for a couple of weeks. And she said, well, why? Why is that? And I said, well, because it's it's all it's all, you know, our politics and our our parliament is actually intertwined with the monarchy. Because of course, the Queen and now the King are the one that sign off on the bills. So we, it would be impractical for the King to be giving bills royal assent, uh, you know, during this morning period. Even though, of course, it's just constitutional duty, and he he doesn't get a say in them. It still is, you know, because it's so wrapped up in in how we do our government. That's that's why our government is basically going to be suspended for ten days, except the emergency stuff. Yeah, and of course we already mentioned it, Liz Truss. Your second full day on the job, you get handed that one. That's a little. Basically, her first address to the nation was to announce that the Queen had died. That's kind of a tough gig. A lot of change in Parliament right now. Um, we know politically the crown is supposed to be above all that. But there is a sense, and a lot of the retrospectives will talk about this. Um, uh, Theresa May spoke about this in Parliament this morning. Uh, Boris Johnson spoke about this in Parliament this morning during the remembrances. There was something to it that no matter what the politics was, she was above it, and she was always there, and she was the constant. Mm. And that that sounds, you know, it's a it's a ceremonial thing, but inside of Parliament, that's a very real thing, isn't it? That sentiment. Yeah, there it is, and uh, I don't think it'd be. I don't think Charles will be able to match it simply because he's already given his views on a lot of things. Which is, you know, it, 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 he, there's always a, there's always um, you know uh, some some will some will prefer to keep themselves themselves. Some prefer to be more open, but I think Charles probably will realise now that he has to, um, you know, probably step back a little bit from his political positions that he takes publicly. Does he have the support of Parliament? I know they're going to all say it. Of course he does. Of course he does. Yeah. Well, I know. See, like you, you, you good parliamentarian there. You, you automatically result it. That's today. You know, a year from now, two years from now. You know, is he does is he going to engender the goodwill? Is just doing the job. Here's the problem: is you never want to be the person that follows the legend. You want to be the person that follows the person that follows the legend because you can't. It's not possible. Of course. Of but that's course. his job. And that's that's his lot now is just doing the job competently, which let's be honest, he he's trained his whole life for this. I don't think he's going to make a shambles of it. He's going to do the job. Mm. Is that enough? Do you think? I think that's enough. Uh, and I also think that perhaps he have surprised people. I mean, he's never been, I think we've talked this before, but he's never been anywhere near as proper as the queen. But I think the, the relatively low expectations actually might work in his favor because uh, I think people before now didn't really think much of him a lot of people didn't anyway and i think people i've seen a lot of outpouring of support for him today and i think that he will he won't become as popular as she was but i think he will he will see a steep rise in popularity and i think that uh, as long as he doesn't do anything you know ridiculous and stupid which i don't think he will you know he's too smart for that 
um, then he will definitely, there'll be no move towards the Republic. I don't think the polls and that will change much at all. Maybe if maybe a few percentage points will support, a few more will support becoming a Republic. But at the end of the day, I think the support of monarchy will stay absolutely steadfast, probably, you know, talking 70% here at least. I thought um, Ben Harris joining us on Hard Tell. I thought them stopping at the gates of Buckingham and him doing the handshake line. And he did, this was not a cursory one. He, he went mm. up and down both sides for a good 10 minutes. This wasn't the, mm. you know, five handpicked people and move along thing that they usually do at rural events. Our president does the same thing. I'm not, I mean, that's just the deal. That's how they do these things. Yeah. That wasn't this. This was a little bit more spontaneous. They walked the line. They walked the grief flowers that are against the fence. It was a good 15 minutes worth of stuff. I thought that was a big deal because Charles, he, if we're going to have this redemption arc, let's just call it what it is. If we're going to have this public redemption arc of Charles, he was seen as aloof. He wasn't seen as the people kind of guy. For him to do that and him to press the flesh and go down, I thought that was a very, very important moment right off the bat. Obviously, him and his team thought that as well, and that was very well staged and put together. Mm. But I do think that was a very important visual right off the bat before he even addressed, before he went to the titles, before he addressed the country. How does that moment hit for people in the UK, though? How did it hit for you? Because I think that was a big deal. It was a big deal. Uh, it was a big deal for me. It was a big deal for everyone. Um, I, I think it was. I mean, that's. Very, I mean, someone on the BBC broadcast. So it's very rare for the, for the monarch to actually walk in front of Buckingham Palace like that. I think that the only time I can think of that's happened similar. I think the Queen and Philip came out and did something similar after Diana died. But of course, as we all know, that was after a lot of public pressure. Um, this certainly, I think, earned him a lot of goodwill. I don't know. I mean, probably for him, it was, it was purely genuine. I think he was genuinely touched by the support for him. But there was probably someone behind the scenes suggesting this, and whoever suggested that deserves a pay rise because that 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 move alone could have potentially saved a lot of trouble, and it already endeared people to him. And it is what you want to see from the monarch, and uh, I'm pleased he did that. And as I said, I think he will be more popular than people think he will be. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't think as well that I don't think Canada, New Zealand, Australia will necessarily. I don't think it's a given they'll become a republic soon. I think there's a very good chance they'll stay on. Stay on, you know. I said before in the last appearance that well, once the Queen goes, it's looking possible that you know they could become republics and they could move go their own way. But I'm not so sure now. I I hate to read people's minds, but you know he's a king, so we got to do this because you know that's his lot in life. I think that was a really big deal to him because he's taken so much crap over the years. Some of it, some of it justified, frankly. Mm. He's taken so many slings and arrows from the press and the public and all of it. I think as important as that was for people to see, I, I wonder how much in his own mind that had to be validation to him on a level he's probably not had in his entire life, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. And he's, and he's actually, let's not forget, he's had a hard, he's had, and obviously it's, he's had a privileged upbringing in, in one sense, but he's also been public eye his entire life. And, um, you know, if you remember, he was sent off to a boarding school, which he hated. Uh, up in Scotland, so far away from his family, that he had a torrid time there, by all accounts. Uh, and of course, he was basically unable to marry the woman he loved, and we were in the Diana story, and Camilla was was the one he's he'd loved for a long time, and he was unable to marry her. Uh, and part part of that was because of because of his status as a um, you know as the next in line. If he if he'd been third or fourth born, I don't think he'd have been able to do more of his own thing. But because he's he's been thrust into this responsibility from the moment he was born. And, you know, that would have an effect on somebody. And I don't, I'm not surprised that he's, you know, he's, he would have, a, you know, he has reason to be, feel aggrieved to some extent. And, you know, I think it's good to see him with Camilla and with, you know, with, with the woman he loves and, and doing his duty. And uh, yeah, I, th I think people are cutting a bit more slack now than they did, say, 20 years ago. 
you brought it up and I don't want to be unkind because we've look, we've all made the jokes over the last what has been 30 years now. How is Camilla going to be seen? She gets queen consort. That's going to be her title. That was something the queen did very specifically and purposefully. That was kind of her way of, I guess, giving a blessing, trying to put a put a period on the end of that sentence, if you will, mm. and settle that all down. This is what it's going to be now. How is it landing with the British people, the people in the UK? Is all forgiven? Are they going to be accepting of her? What's her current status? Not the last few years, but today with everything that, that's been she's, going on. She's... She's probably more popular now than she has, ever has been. I remember when I do actually remember when they got. Married. Now that's a bit of a low bar, though, so you might need to qualify. Yeah, that. of course, but she, she's, she's. I mean, she's certainly her popularity has risen a lot in the last seventeen years since they got married. Which I, I remember watching their marriage, not, not marriage itself. I remember watching the ceremony just before they got married on TV back in two thousand and five. And at that time, she was not. Uh, I don't think she was very well liked because she was seen as you know Diana's usurp, and of course, Diana was the impossible act to follow. But now I think people have got to know her. And by all accounts, she's a very nice lady. She's apparently she's very friendly. She's very warm. And she does a lot for charity. And she goes to these events just like he does. And no, her, her, her approval rating, I would suggest, is quite, pop, is quite high. I think she's, she's been quite warmly embraced by the public in recent years. And I think we'll see that, especially over the next, next 10 days. Yeah, Ben Harris joining us from the UK. We're going to take a quick break, come back, continue to talk about the monarchy. He already alluded to it a little bit. We'll talk about the future of the Commonwealth. Talk about the rest of the line of secession because now this means everybody bumps up one. William and Kate's on deck. We'll talk about that with our friend Ben Harris right after this. Hertel continues. Folks, if you've listened to the Hertel program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Ben Harris, our good friend from over in the UK. Smart guy. He works in Parliament. He knows how these things work. He can do it inside and outside. You may notice if you're watching on the YouTube, there's some Americana memorabilia. He does love our country as well. We'll hash oh, that cool. out during the World Cup, though, my friend, uh, when we get to Qatar. Uh, <laughs> here's the other part of this. So the line of secession moves up. Charles III is on the throne now. Hopefully he does better than the first two Charleses you had. Not exactly, you know, of course, yeah. low bar to clear there. He has to not get beheaded and he has to not die young. He already cleared one of those. I'm pretty sure he'll get the second one covered. So we'll see how that goes. William and Kate, he mentioned it in his address. It was a formality, but he made a point of it. Um, they are now going to move up to, they're going to keep their current titles, but they're also going to be, you know, Prince and Princess of Wales. Correct. They're on deck now, and for a lot of royal watchers, that means they're on the clock. Uh, of course, Charles is in his 70s. Now, his mom and his grandmother lived to 96 and 101, respectively. So we're going to assume he's got a good run left in him. William, do you think for William and Kate, this has gotten very, very real very, very quickly now? I, I know they've, they've always had it there, but th this is, he's a heartbeat away now. This is a different yeah. beast. Do we see their roles probably changing quite a bit now? Um. 
Possibly, but I think William has always William's always been very popular. Um, William and Kate, Kate as well. Kate, Kate was Kate has always been popular among people because, um, of course, she's seen as a commoner. Because I mean, she comes she comes from quite a privileged background, but she doesn't come from the royal family. She doesn't come from that sort of circle. Um, they're both very popular, and they've, they've both been active in in their, their certain courses. And they've also been, both been modernizers, and I think there's already been. Uh, you know, they've already sort of decided which direction they want to take the monarchy in. I think probably Charles will help that because Charles himself is, is certainly a bit of a modernizer. And I think he will, it'll be a transition period, um, you know, as, as they sort of, it goes between the generations. And I, and I think it'll be, I don't think the role will change too much. They'll probably have a bit, a bit less public appearances because they, or maybe a few more, I don't know. But um, no, I think they've, they've been used to this for quite a long time now. And I have absolutely no worries that, um, William and Kate will, will carry on as they always have done and they will make fine a fine king and queen when they eventually do come to the throne, which hopefully is not for a long time yet. A lot of people, the press especially, and the Royal Watchers, they're going to make an entire meal, probably multiple meals, out of the fact that Kate now has Diana's old title. Mm. Um, how much of that is a thing and how much of it is just media noise? Because it, everybody's kind of been waiting on it ever since they got married. It's like Because you know it was going to happen at some point, and now here it is. How, how big a deal is it, really? Honestly, I don't think it's a big deal at all. I didn't even realise, of course, it's before my time, but I only just now remembered that actually, yeah, Diana was known as the Princess of Wales. I actually kind of, I actually forgot that until you just mentioned that. Um, you can't avoid it in the American press. I'll just warn you no, right now. I, I mean, granted, different perspective. That's why we're talking to you about it. But that, that's that's almost a headline on a lot of this. Is like, oh, she's got Diana's title now. That's a big deal to a lot of folks. Yeah, but Kate, of course, she, Kate, she's not like, she's not, you know, she wasn't even... She was, she was just a kid when Diana died. She didn't even know William when Diana died. She's, I think she's captured the public's, public's heart, not in perhaps the same way Diana did, but she's very well liked and she comes across as a very down to earth woman. And, you know, she's, well, she, she's fulfilled her constitutional duty in another sense that she's given, I know that's not her only job, but she's given uh, William, you know, three healthy children. And, you know, the, the line of succession is now secure with uh you know george and charlotte and and certainly there'll be no there'll be no king andrew thank god so we can thank her for that as well yeah everybody's happy about that um what do you see how do i phrase this delicately (laughs) although if we if you wind up with a king louis we may have to work on the regal name because that's a little too french for most people's taste probably (laughs) but you know george and charlotte the the kids how much of an advantage do you think it is for them that they do have William and of course Harry as well? Cause that, you know, they're, he's going to be there probably a little bit more now. How much of an advantage is it for them that they've got the father they do that's kind of been through this and he's seen and done it. And I know not that, you know, not that Charles didn't have Philip, but it's a different age and yeah. they absolutely had a crucible when it came to media coverage as young boys. And then of course the thing with their mom, I, I hate to phrase it this way, but do you the shadow of Diana has been over this royal family for a long, long time. Do you think it starts to kind of go back in the corner where it's just a memory now and it's not looming all the time? I think it I think it's been going that way for a while. Uh I think the last time it probably made its head was uh probably the Harry and Meghan uh wedding. Uh, I think since then it has gradually gone back in the shadow. And it's worth noting actually. I've been following the coverage quite a lot here. And I've barely heard anything about Diana at all. Of course, he wouldn't, because it's you know it's the Queen that's died, not nothing not to do Diana. But I've barely seen any 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 mention of Diana at all. And I think having a father like William, who has been through what he's been through, um, by all accounts, he's a very good father, and he's there for his children. And I think he he's 
I think the experiences he's been through has allowed allowed him to be probably perhaps a better father than than you know than his dad may have been to him. And um, you know they 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 sound like great parents. And you know I'm I'm you know I'm absolutely sure that this Diana uh, ghost I think is is it's finally being put to rest because of course Kate's their mother now. Kate is Kate is the mother of the next the next king. Um, and you know it's we are moving moving past that now. Yeah, there's a generational thing there too because a lot of people just, you know, to have a living memory of Diana now, you'd have to be in your 30s. Yeah, so I don't have just, a living memory of her. I don't, I don't remember when yeah. she died. I don't remember. I mean, obviously, I was alive when she died, but I certainly don't remember it. Uh, I remember a couple of things from that rough period when I was four or five years old, but I certainly don't remember when she died. And, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 30 now. So you ask any woman in America over the age of probably 45, they'll tell you where they were when they got married and they'll tell you how they watched it. Like yeah. it's that it's that big a thing for that generation, but then the generation below that, it's Kate. Like that's yeah. just how they follow. You know, like you know, my my daughter that's in college now, she had a Kate doll. She didn't have a Diana doll. She had a Kate the Kate doll up on the thing because that's well, just how like, it is. It's been a long time coming. I think I think the ghost of Diana sort of finally it started to subside. I think probably uh, when William got engaged and then married to Kate because uh, he gave her. I think he, I think he gave her his mother's ring, and I think it was. After that, it's ever since that she has slowly faded from you know the discourse, and she's you know she's mentioned where where it's necessary, but she's no longer I don't think um, the, the sort of the figure that sort of looms over the royal family that she, that they used to. And I, I think I think it's good to move on. I mean, Diane obviously was was good in her own right, but we, they, they are moving on now. It's it's time for a new generation. You mentioned it, so we have to talk about it. The other looming thing, especially in the Western press, has been Megan. Now, there's all kinds of rumors and stuff. I don't want to speculate, and I don't want to get into all the rumors of who said what to who and the internal workings of the rural family, because, God, you'd be months and years, and there's there's a whole cottage industry for that stuff if people yeah. want to view it. Do you think the Megan thing gets better now? Do you think they figure out a way, especially now that William and Kate's going to be kind of elevated because they're next in line? Um, do you think the Megan thing works itself out now? I think it depends on how they. I think I think it's up to them personally. Uh, there is a lot of bad blood. There's a lot. You know, probably, probably. I think my my understanding, Meghan and Harry are fed up from the US, whereas here, um, you know, it's, it's quite divided. But I think it it would depend on how they act. I think it depends on. If the sense here seems to be is that Harry and Meghan are a bit too eager to sort of, you know be in the spotlight they you know he claimed that he wanted to get away from the spotlight and he's been in it a lot um and i think if they play their cards right they that's fine but i think they've got to be very careful and they've got to not um be seen as trashing the royal family especially especially if they do it soon after the queen's died because you don't that that would be a very bad look if they start coming out with all kinds of tell-all interviews or whatever that's that would be terrible um, so I think it depends on. And it's not just Meghan. Harry, Harry is just as much to blame, if not more so, because Harry. Remember, in fact, Harry's more to blame because Harry was brought up around this. He knows his responsibilities. Meghan wasn't. You know, she obviously married into it, and it wasn't for her. But Harry should know, you know, how to conduct himself and how what's expected of him. And I think it's it's his responsibility now to make sure that. Is that the pressure happens. off him now? 
Well, no, it's not. The pressure's never, the pressure's never going to be off him. The pressure will always be on him. Um, but I think he, yeah, I, I hope that, you know, he, I hope for him and William and Charles can reconcile because I know there's apparently been some sort of, I don't Yeah, know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speculate now, on him, but you said there's bad blood there. There's conflicting, you know, is it with William? Is it with his dad? Was it with his grandmother? Who was the bad blood even with? Do we even know? Because everybody assumes there's bad blood, but we don't really even know. So it's kind of hard to tell. I know they made a big deal over the one wedding. Uh, they attended Philip's funeral together. They were The brothers were walking together. People were trying to like do the body language thing, which is a waste of time. It was a funeral. They weren't going to give you anything in that moment. I, I think I think the sense of it is, is the here anyway, I think people just want it worked out and left alone. I get the feeling maybe in the UK it's a little bit more. Let's put it this way. Charles's speech as king his first address that line of as they live as they live their lives overseas there's not one period in that statement that was not gone over that was a very deliberate thing to say was it not i think i think i picked up on it immediately when he said oh over he said william and kate prince of wales and harry and megan as they live their lives overseas that sounded like a message to me i think the message there probably was was you know you can do your own thing but please don't Please don't, you know, make this a sideshow. Um, please be, keep it respectful. And, you know, whether they do or not, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, um, it's, you know, Charles is king now. The, the focus still will be on him. Um, I just hope that there isn't. I think it's, I think he's got he's got to, it's a tough job to keep this family together because the royal family, like all families, you know, has its feuds and it's not easy to keep that sort of thing together. And the Queen did hold together. And whether Charles will be able to continue that, I don't know. But certainly his speech was, was excellent. And I think he was, he's, got, he's got off to a great start for all the reasons well, let, he said. Let's just call it what it is, though. All the charity stuff, all the formalities, all the roles of being a head of states, at least ceremonially, that's all one. He's really going to be judged on whether he keeps his family together or not. That's really what he's going to be judged on, because if you really think about it, all the accolades of the Queen the last 70 years – You've heard it over and over again, the consistency, the steadfastness. That's the stuff everybody's talking about. His success or failure rate and how his legacy goes is all going to be about whether he keeps his family together. And he's got a tough task on it. Is that a fair way to phrase all this? Yes, but I think it's also about whether he keeps the Commonwealth together. Uh, I think, you know, if there's referendums you know, on this issue in, say, Australia, New Zealand or Canada or wherever, I think it's... It's what happens now to the Commonwealth because there is an expectation that the Commonwealth will base as an organisation where you know he's head of state. There's an expectation that it will just sort of disintegrate, like the Empire did. Now that the Queen isn't there because the Queen's so popular and he isn't as popular. Uh, I think how he conducts himself now and you know in the, in the coming years will define that. And if he actually manages to hold it hold it together, you know, he may be seen as a very good king. Uh, he won't. He'll never. He'll never top his mother, obviously. But um, depending on how he conducts himself now. That would be, I think, how he's judged just as much if he keeps the family together. I think he's going to keep the family together, but also keep the Commonwealth family together is just as important. And it's quite a big deal to a lot of people, in not just here, but in the Commonwealth as well. What, give me one or two things that would make or break that, do you think? Does he need to do overseas tours? Does he have certain policies that he needs to advocate for? We know he's really big about environmental concerns, things like mm. this. That's going to be a little bit of a hard road to hoe right now in the middle of an energy crisis. So he's maybe not the man of the hour for that specific thing. What's a couple of the things he needs to come right out of the block strongly on policy and ideology wise to broadcast to the Commonwealth, but really to the rest of the world as well, as far as what he's going to be focusing on? 
Well, he needs to go, he needs to go on a tour, um, and he will do. I mean, I've, I think he's already been. I think basically already confirmed that he will go on a tour of the Commonwealth realm. So he'll go to Australia, he'll go to New Zealand, he'll go to Canada, he'll go to the Caribbean and all those other places, and you know parts of Africa. He will go there. Um, so I think he needs to do that, and he will. Um, as far as his causes, that he advocates for. He's already made it clear that he wants to be more of an advocate for things that, than his mother was. Um, you know, she was famously no one knew what she thought about anything really. She was very tight-lipped. That was the way she was, and that's the way she wanted it. I think he needs to. It's hard for him actually because he's going to have to avoid being stuck in the cultural wars because the Queen obviously could, could stay above it, whereas he hasn't. He's always sort of he's often been sort of drawn to the cultural wars, and I think um, sort of managing that balancing act will be very difficult because everything gets consumed by the culture war these days. And, you know, either he, either he'll get, you know, either get painted as a woke person or, a, you know, a, a racist or a fascist or whatever. That, that'll be what happens. You know, he's got to avoid being painted as one of two extremes in the culture wars. And, you know, I really do wish him the best on that because that's a tough job for anyone to do. To stay out of that mess is, is you know, it's not, it's not a mess of his making. It's a mess of society's making. He's got to stay out of it. How much of that does, last time I had you on, we were talking a lot about how the British media is changing the news media specifically in England. How much of that's going to have to do with the media environment? Because it is, it, we already talked about it. They've done a good job managing the media in recent years. This is going to be a whole new thing now because it, it almost, the Queen was such an institution about not giving an opinion that they basically quit trying to get one, for lack of a better way of phrasing it. They're going to be all over Charles trying to get that soundbite out of him. There's a lot of trappings there. They're going to test you know, for lack of a better term, not that they're not going to be disrespectful. They're going to test this new king in mm. this media environment. How much does that have to do with this as well, do you think? Because the well, British press has never had a monarch that they felt like they could go after because the queen was kind of untouchable. Yeah. Let's, be let's be fair here. The British media is going to kind of be licking their chops a little bit like, okay, we can <laughs> go after this guy, right? I think, I think you're right. But I think if I was advising him and I think he will take this on board, I think I would say to him, um, don't give them what they want. Don't feed them. Just you know, maybe step back a little bit from what you're used to, um, because you know they're going to, they, you know, they're going to spin it however they want. They, they, they want, you know, they want blood, they want sexy scandals, that sort of thing. Um, so I think he, and I think it's in his interest for him, for him to not give them that, because he knows that the survival of the monarchy, probably in the long term, will in part depend on that. I don't think there's any real chance of of the monarchy, you know, not being around in fifty years' time. But it, it, there could be a slow death over the coming sort of centuries, and I think he needs to to not give them the kickstart they need because the tabloids just, they just want a story. That's, that's all they ever want. All, all news organizations are like that. They just want a story. They want something to write about. And I would just say to him, don't give it to them. Yeah, I hope so too. We're going to take one more last quick break with Ben Harris, come back, uh, put his political hat back on because there is some really pressing stuff going on in the UK as with the rest of the world. We'll talk to him about that a little bit more about remembering the queen. Her tale continues right after this. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Uh, just talking about our cultural differences because it's Friday as we're recording this and I've got to rush off to high school football and he has no idea what I'm talking about because he's been Harrison, grew up in the UK and football is on Saturdays and Sundays usually. <laughs> and a whole different sport. We'll talk about that some other time. Um, put your political hat back on. You do work in Parliament. Um, this has kind of been 
frankly, kind of a needed break from the way UK politics has been the last few weeks. We just put Liz Trust in as prime minister. They're going to have a little bit of a breather because they have, but this cost of living crisis is a pressing issue. It's probably one of the greater crises of recent memory. There's a lot going on politically in the UK. That's an undercurrent that's going to take a back seat for the next two weeks or however long the mourning period is. But then it's going to be full throated and both the king and the new prime minister, who are both new to their roles, are going to be in the deep end very, very quickly, aren't they? Yeah, well, I think the at the moment the focus is on Charles. Of course, I think it will shift now. It will shift from Charles over to Liz Truss once the mourning period is over and once he's settled in his new role. Uh, I think actually I, I really do feel for Liz Truss because she has... Whether you like her or not, I'm I'm quite a fan of her, but I understand many aren't, and that's fair enough. But she's been thrust into this is probably the most you know difficult baptism of baptism of fire that any prime minister's had in living memory, probably at least since Churchill anyway. To be and obviously it's not the same, it's not war, but to be thrown into this sort of thing where she's in under the spotlight as well, and that's on top of all the other stuff that's going on. She knew what she was signing up for politically, and that's you know I, I don't really have much sympathy there. But in terms of this. She's just as much under the spotlight now, and it's going to be it's going to be tougher. I mean, I mean, when when the news started to break that the Queen was in trouble, there was a debate in Parliament on uh, the cost of living crisis and the government's energy price cap. So this you know this is something that will come back once once this period of once this sort of um, you know this ceasefire is over, political combat will resume again, and we've got party conference season literally straight after the morning period. So that will be interesting to see what happens there. We talked about uh, Charles. He did very well in his first speech. Most people think it's positive. He did well in his first public outing in front of Buckingham Palace. She had her first PMQs. Um, we were talking to her, um, we were talking to our friend Les Bromowski a couple of days ago about her, and you know she's going to get compared to Thatcher and Theresa May because she's a woman. Just good, bad, mm-hmm. or indifferent. That's the comparison. Theresa May was fantastic at PMQs. Of course, she was working off Jeremy Corbyn. So take that for what that's worth. Thatcher's yeah. legendary at it. That's not her style. She doesn't have that rhetorical flourish. She's more of a detailed-oriented person. She comes in very prepared. Um, She's a detailed person where she gets the facts and sticks to those. How do you think her first PMQs went? It was very different than Boris Johnson, probably purposefully slow, but I think it was effectively so. What did you make of it? I think it's. I think actually she's quite. She's better off the cuff in that sort of situation uh, in PMQs as she is giving prepared speeches. And I think compared to Boris, who often came across as a bit of a jester, he was he was quite a jester. He often sort of ra- rambled on about random things and came out with silly insults for Keir Starmer. And he often didn't even get close to answering the question. Whereas tr- I think um, Liz Truss is a lot more serious. And I think certainly in this kind of, in this climate, that would probably be um, you know something people would, would warm to. Um, she's she is more a more serious person, and I think she's she's not quite as into that sort of pantomime stuff that Boris Johnson was. We know she has a very steep hill to climb. Um, you mentioned it. There's going to be the cost of living crisis. There's a general election looming, probably eighteen months to two years somewhere in that, mm-hmm. unless they call it early. Um, she's got a steep hill to climb, but does that just kind of stick into the facts, plain spoken style? Uh, does that meet the moment probably a little better than we may realize right at the moment that she is, she isn't really, you know, rhetorical flourishes. She's very straight to business to the camera. When you have a crisis, like a cost of living crisis where let's just be honest, there's not going to be a whole lot anybody's going to do to salvage this winter. It's going to be bad for a lot of people. Mm. Is that going to serve her well to have that more plain spoken, you know, go back to her roots and leads and just talk to people plainly kind of style. Is that going to maybe help her out here? I think it will, but at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, it would be, it would be the results and it will be, can she dedicate herself to the job in a way that Boris Johnson perhaps didn't some in some ways? Because he, I don't think he had the personal sort of 
the, you know, the, the, the sort of commitment. Theresa May had a lot, Theresa May was the opposite. She had a lot of commitment. She just made the wrong decisions on something. So I think he needs to, she needs to just um, dedicate herself and make sure that she gets the outcomes right and gets the policy right. And also, I would also suggest from a personal point of view, a political point of view, is I hope she doesn't get sucked into the treasury orthodoxy and she doesn't, she stands up to them a bit more than Boris Johnson did. And you know, more than Theresa May did, because we do need someone to overhaul a lot of these orthodoxies that have been going on in Whitehall for decades. And she comes in with lots of good words, but we'll, we'll see whether she actually does do that. Um, but she needs to stick to her guns and be ideological, I think. And part of that comes from the run up to her uh, election as the head of the party and by prime minister by default. We know the debate with Rishi Sunak, who was chancellor of the Exeter. Um he's sitting on that back bench and he's young and he's ambitious and he's rich and he's not going anywhere. Does she have to watch behind her here the next few years, especially if this kind of starts getting to be a tough road to hoe because he's, he's probably just going to lay out and buy his time. He's a lot of the differences you're talking about of those orthodoxies, especially things like tax policy, spending policy, things like that. She's, you know, she's got Keir Starmer and the labor in front of her. Does she have to watch over her shoulder a little bit here? Just to watch over her shoulder, but not for him. Uh, if, I, if I were her, I wouldn't fear Sunak. He's he's never been particularly popular among the party. Uh, all the Boris people think that he, he they blame him for stabbing it. They blame him Sunak for stabbing Boris in the back. Um, he doesn't he doesn't come across as very in touch with people. So I don't think she has to worry about him. I think she has to worry about her other um, the other contenders in that race. So I think she needs to worry more about Penny Mordaunt, Tom Tugendhat. Uh, and Kayan Badenoch. Kayan Badenoch, of course, is, uh, I mean, she's very popular among the Tory grassroots and among sort of the more cultural warrior uh, conservative types. So, you know, she will be coming at her from the right if she is, if Truss is seen as being as not conservative enough. And likewise, I think Tugendhat or Morden will come from her from the left if she's seen as not being, you know, as responsible or, you know, uh, just as, as, you know, responsible as she should be. So, yeah, I would say she needs to look over her shoulder, but not a Sunak, who I think probably will end up, you know, sit, stand down the next election anyway. Yeah, he's got the money. He can go do whatever he wants. It'll be interesting. Exactly. To watch. Um, is Boris done? Mm, personally, I think he's done in terms of uh, nationally. Nationally, I don't think he has it in to win another election. I think he's damaged goods in that respect. But among the Tory party, I could... You know, if he does stick around, there's a chance he could come back because he is he is still well liked from the Tory Party. So we'll wait and see about that. I, I would say probably done, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's he hadn't talked about resigning his seat as a lot of those usually do, but Theresa May didn't do that either. She's stuck in her seat as well, so maybe that it's a new tradition. Going. Well, Theresa May is is different. She lives for this. She's been sort of a Conservative Party sort of woman her whole life, and she very much enjoys um, being constituency MP. Boris is different. So that didn't surprise me. It didn't surprise me when Cameron left after six months because Cameron, by the way, don't forget, stayed on as an MP and then he, he did after six months stand down. And I wouldn't be surprised if Boris did that simply because he can make a lot better money elsewhere. MPs aren't exactly that well paid, not for the job they do. It's a tough job and they get paid about 85 grand a year, which isn't uh, that much for what they do. Most of them could go elsewhere and earn a lot more. And Boris could certainly earn a lot more than that. So I think he will go elsewhere, but we'll wait and see. Yeah. And I think, I believe it was Theresa May that talked about this she's to bring this back to the queen where we started was they said it wasn't any big deal for you to have a female prime minister in the UK. Cause you already had a female queen for 30, 40 years. Mm. So it was already an established precedent. I thought that was an interesting piece of perspective on She was talking about Thatcher, of course, and then herself, but that was her purview. She's like, well, the big boss has always been a woman. So it wasn't any big deal for us to step up. It's kind well, of, of a course. different thing where we haven't had one. We haven't had a female president in America yet. Of course, but the Queen wasn't herself. She wasn't anywhere near the first. We had we had about I think three or four, or even five uh, female right. queens before Elizabeth. So, 
and and you know Victoria is widely regarded as one of the best ones. So actually, if you look back at British history, we've basically only had I think except except Mary, of course, we've only had good queens. Yeah, and Victoria was very political. People history's kind of lost it, but she she was very involved. <laughs> she was not Elizabeth II yeah. when it came to politics. Looking ahead the next couple of weeks, we're going to have the morning period, of course. What You tell me, because you're a subject and I am not, what have you personally taken from the Queen now that you've had a day or two to kind of think about it and process it? What are your thoughts on Queen Elizabeth now as you start to put her into memory as opposed to this living thing that's always been there? Um, I, th- I think it hasn't changed for me. She's always epitomized service, and I think this last week has only emphasized that. The fact that she was literally on death's door on our last legs, um, less than you know, 48 hours away from death, and she was still there doing a constitutional duty at age 96, um, making sure the new prime minister could be sworn in in the right way. Um, she basically gave her life to the country in in, in not in a not too dissimilar way that you know our soldiers have given their lives to the countries. It, obviously, it's, it's a bit different, but she did give her life to this country. She didn't just serve for a few years, as as you know, say soldiers in the war did. She served this country for you know pretty much her entire life, seventy five years, and she never had a normal life. So to me, she just uh, epitomizes sacrifice and duty uh, more than any other. And as, as I said, I don't think any any monarch will, will be able to even get near her in the future. We'll start where we where this conversation started because I pulled the clip and put it out on Twitter when we talked on the Fourth of July. Um, you talked at the time to for the full context. We had just lost our last Medal of Honor winner from World War II. He lied in state uh, in our capital, be representative of all of them because he was the last one. So that it was some symbolic stuff. You made the statement that when the Queen dies, that's going to be the UK's kind of farewell to the World War II generation. Uh, now it's here. Does it feel that way? It does, yeah, uh, it does. Because don't forget, she was, of course, she served in World War Two um, as well. So it, it does. I mean, obviously, we, have, we still have some veterans left, but it's now getting to the point where World War Two veterans are now becoming World War One veterans were uh, when I was a child, which was there, but you know, so old and so few, or relatively few, that they just it, it becomes a memory, a part of history, rather than a, a living part of history. Uh, but I think it's also about saying sort of goodbye to this, this whole empire thing, which of course is is so. Uh, hotly contested and i'll even get into that we talked about the commonwealth stands or not um i think it's probably overbaked to talk about the monarchy standing or not i don't think anything drastically is going to change anytime soon but a generation from now do you you see any build about the monarchy or against the monarchy or do you think it's secure for a while now with now that they know that it'll be you know charles then william then George, uh, God willing, nothing bad happens to any of them. And the creek don't rise, as we say, where I come from. Do you think a secure dynasty taps down to let's get rid of the monarchy stuff? Or do you think it starts to grow again? I think it stays as it is now, which is very strong. And I think this whole this whole death of the Queen and Charles taking over only strengthens it. And I think the fact that William's already well-known and well-liked, and even George, to a certain extent, as, as much as a kid can be, he's, he's sort of seen quite favorably in the public. So... Uh, I have no doubt. I have no doubts. Unless unless George turns out to be 
just a terrible, terrible person. And there's absolutely no nothing to suggest he is. He seems like a decent, decent kid, and I think he'll make a great king one day. Unless, unless something really goes wrong with him, I think we'll be fine. Have you had to say it yet? Does it feel good coming off the tongue? Long live the king, or do you need to practice it a little bit? Oh, it's it's definitely weird. Just saying, just saying the <laughs> king in in a present tense is very very weird. It's it's extremely weird. Um, it's just not. It's just it's just weird. Um, you know, it's it's just sad in a way because obviously we're so used to saying the queen, and now we don't get to say that anymore. It, it's so strange because uh, the American system, we turn our government over a lot. Like we all of Congress and a third of the Senate every two years, presidents every four years. It's it's something we we don't really think about. It just happens. And when you think about how many, pre, you know, her first president was Harry Truman. And then her last president, you know, Joe Biden was nine years old when she met her first U.S. president as a head of state. Mm. You know, it's something we can't even comprehend that kind of consistency. So I think that's one thing, you know, the American system, we turn over our government so much. For y'all to have that consistency for so long is is really remarkable by any historical standard. Um, is that going to be the biggest legacy, just that consistent service and such a big chunk of history embodied in one woman? Well, I think that's the case. Well, the monarchy, but certainly her as a person, it was almost to, to, to us what the Constitution is to you. It was a you know a timeless a timeless sort of bulwark around which all the politics of the day was conducted, and which you know every, everyone on both on all sides at least in public, you know, sort of swore to and, and swore to protect. And I think uh, the monarchy is seen as a, in a similar way, but she did personify it better than, than anyone else, really. And I think Charles, obviously the, the term for Charles is to carry on that and sort of become that living uh, figure above politics. Um, the special relationship, um, her, his mother was legendary for fostering it. She very much believed in it. Uh, is there any reason to think Charles would be anything but a great friend to the UK American relationship? No, I think I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be I think there'll be continuity there. I don't think much will change. Um, there's absolutely nothing to suggest that you know. And then there though, he doesn't really set foreign policy. The prime minister does, and that will that will change with the times. And that here he will see many prime ministers probably. So no, I don't think that will change much. I think he'll just carry on what the Queen did. Yeah, I know they announced it today. President Biden will be at the service. Uh, he's coming over along with probably other every other head of state in the world. Um, Ben Harris, always great to chat with you, my friend, uh, a bit of a sad occasion to chat, but it's good to have you again. Uh, we'll get you back on something happier. We'll wait a couple of weeks, see if Aston Villain can get a win. Maybe you'll be in a little bit better well, mood then. The Orioles make the post series because we you know we're yeah. not far off. Yeah. You somehow wound up being an Orioles fan, but you're actually having a good season now. So, you yeah, know, you gotta... so don't forget as well. The queen actually met the Orioles team when she came to the U S about 30 years ago. She met them with, uh, former president Bush senior. And she met the Orioles team then. She met Cal Ripken. She met all the other people. So, you know, it's actually a good choice, me, me picking the Orioles, because they're basically the British team, I would say. Are you saying we should read something into the fact that they haven't been winning since then until now? <laughs> yeah, of course, it's been a long time. But I, I think, honestly, trust me, a few years' time, World Series, I guarantee it. Uh, we'll hold you to it, and we'll get you back sometime in October to see how that held up. Ben Harris, yeah, we uh, appreciate you greatly. We'll talk soon, buddy. Uh, take care. Best of luck to Charles uh, as he takes on the kingdom. It's going to be tough for him, but uh, we really do wish him well. We wish Liz Truss well. Y'all going to have a hard winter, uh, but your American friends are pulling for you like we always do. So we'll talk soon, my friend. That's good to hear that. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.